be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And before I do, I want to begin by saying thank you for the opportunity I have to be here to worship with you. I love having fellowship with the, the, the Christians here. Um, you support me in preaching in Saline County and also in Romania from time to time. And uh, were very wonderful about supporting me while I was living in Romania. Um, just about everywhere I preached, the church here has supported me. And I will always appreciate that and uh, pray that it may continue to bear fruit that will reach into eternity. Just as we just got through singing, that we're looking forward to that hope that uh, Jesus died in order for us to, to have. And so <clears throat> I want to read beginning with chapter 4, verse 16, and read through chapter uh, 5 and verse 8. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. <clears throat> so we are seeing a contrast between the temporary and the eternal, we see a contrast between what we have here and what we might have to suffer here and what we have to look forward to in the future. The key that I want to look at in this passage is in verse 16 where it talks about the inner man, that the inner man is being renewed day by day. And so I want us to look at, first of all, what the inner man is and how the inner man is renewed, and how we can focus more and renew with purpose the inner man so that we can continue to grow spiritually and it strengthen us spiritually so that we can realize that eternal weight of glory in contrast to the harsh sufferings and persecutions we may endure as Christians here on this earth. Well, the first thing we should think of when we think of the inner man is the mind. And this is just one of four parts that I would suggest as a way of looking at the inner man. Uh, Romans chapter 12 talks about how we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. But then in verse 2 it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The mind is to be renewed. 
that part of the inner man is to be renewed every day. And so we reason with the mind, we memorize things with the mind, we connect the dots with the mind, and so we learn uh, with the mind. The mind becomes a very important aspect of the inner man that God has given us, the ability to communicate and to reason, and just so many blessings that come from the ability to think. But that's not the only part of the inner man. It also involves the heart. And there is a distinction uh, between the heart and the mind in some passages. And in some other passages, they are used as the same thing. And, and so, of course, context is important when we, when we make those uh, uh, studies of where it's used and how it's used, where there's a distinction in one passage and there's not a distinction in other passages. But Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, also in Mark's account. Um, mind and, and heart, they are similar, but they're mentioned separately uh, in the quotation that is given actually from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, and so I would suggest this has to do with our feelings, uh, the emotions. And, and, of course, these are not so decompartmentalized that they're completely separate things and we're not separate beings uh, living in, inside us. Like uh, there was a movie that Disney did, Inside Out, where you had you know, four different beings making all the decisions to explain you know, emotions and, and how people react to things. Uh, and this uh, young girl, uh, it, that was the star of the movie. Well, the will is another part, and this actually is a combination of the mind and the heart. And this is the determination that we have to carry out what, based upon the mind, which leads to also our feelings, and therefore the strength of the thinking that we do and what values we have based upon once again, the mind being the very foundation of it, um, that will determine the will and what we have the will to do, the strength of that will in doing what we want to do. And of course, we, in renewing the mind, need to be furnishing the mind with the Word of God. But the will is uh, mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And actually, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is Paul persuading the Corinthians to fulfill a commitment they had made a year earlier to help the needy saints in Jerusalem. And so one of the things he says to encourage them to do that is found in chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. In this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. The will has always been important to God, which, like I said, is a reflection of the mind and the heart combination. So God cares about our feelings. God cares how we feel and that we have a desire to do His will. That's why... It is important to renew this part of the inner man. We can become weary in well-doing, so the will needs to be renewed. 
And the other part I would suggest as part of the inner man is the conscience. This is kind of like the judge of what we have done, but it also can be a, um, a preemptive judge with regard to what we decide to do uh, to uh, be the, the guard keeper uh, determining whether or not we're going to want to do that thing. And it's like, no, 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 because that would violate my conscience. So it can work to judge what we've already done. It can also work to prejudge what we are thinking about doing. And so the conscience becomes very important as well. And uh, a very good passage to illustrate how that functions is in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of God written in their, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so the conscience is important in making decisions as well as the will would be important in making decisions. But it all begins with the mind. So we want to talk about renewing the mind for a moment. This has to be the foundation because even our feelings and what we consider uh, important to us could not have ever come into our mind in that way had we not first had all kinds of stimuli come into our mind and we filter that, we, we, we try to think that through about the meanings of, of the experiences that we've had in life, uh, the things that our parents taught us, the things that we read in Scripture, um, and, and of course other times we have friends who maybe had some negative influences on us, uh, we may have had some bad things happen in our lives. There are all kinds of combinations of circumstances that make every single person unique. Even if several people will experience the same thing, they have different ways of reaction because of how they process the things that happen. And so the mind and the basic information that we have in it, this is why it's so important for us to, to look at the importance of Furnishing the mind with the right substance, the right information. Romans chapter 10, the first three verses, talk about Paul's desire for the Israelites that they might be saved. And he actually says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's a great simple definition of prayer. You know, his heart's desire, the expression of one's heart's desire to God. And... He was concerned about them because he was a Jew. He thought just like they did. He even wanted to teach the Jews. And Jesus says, no, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And so he is praying for them. And he looks at his job of preaching to the Gentiles, which Jesus sent him to do, as a way to maybe get the Jews to wake up, to be provoked to jealousy, to, to turn to the Lord as well. And that's an important part of this context here. And Paul has compassion on them and concern for them. Because, you know, I bear them witness, he said, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. 
that's the problem. We get so busy establishing our own righteousness, then we're not going to be able to submit to the righteousness of God. If we're busy following some false teaching, we cannot be obeying the gospel. And, and then Paul makes a similar point in, in Galatians, which is a, a much briefer and earlier version of, of what he's saying in Romans. Another thing we should understand is that our faith, it's based upon facts. It's based upon historical fact. And the core of the gospel, the gospel that saves us, if we believe it, if we stay obedient to it, if we stand fast in it, as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, our faith is on a solid foundation that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that He was buried and that He arose from the third day according to the Scripture. And then He was seen. And, and, and so these facts that He laid out in 1 Corinthians 15 don't ever change. Now when people talk about having a great relationship with God and it's because of how God blesses them in their life, what happens when they were diagnosed with a terminal illness. What happens when they have a child who dies? What happens if they lose their job? You know, their view of their relationship with God is, is it's like it goes off the rails. And they start questioning whether or not God really cares. Well, God's love for us has not changed. In our faith in the facts where God has demonstrated His love, that's a fact. God loves us. I can, I can state that categorically as a fact. The reason I can say that is because He gave His only begotten Son. He came into this world. He not only died on the cross, but He lived a life of more than 30 years to set a great example for us, a perfect example for us. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And then He died for us. He allowed Himself to be put to death on the cross and then conquer death, be raised from the dead on the third day. And He is at the right hand of God. I know this because of the witnesses who have declared that. We have witnesses of these facts. The only uh, exceptional thing about Jesus at the right hand of God is that no one has actually seen Jesus at the right hand of God except for Stephen. And we have that testimony in Scripture for us, in written, served, saved for us. And with his dying words, he, he, he talks about seeing him at, at the right hand of God right there. And the other apostles testify of this because the Holy Spirit gave them that information. And notice it is information that the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles not feelings, but information to convey to us so that we can have the truth, the facts, that will never change. So we have an unchanging message about an unchanging God, about His unchanging love for us, therefore a hope that should never ever waver in our minds. And, and so the feelings that we have about God um, should be because of the strength of our understanding of these facts, the fact that God loves us and that He has done so much to prove that. And we have 
him even saying that's why he did the things he did, to give the greatest gift he could and then tell us that he did it because he loved us. Why could we, how could we or how should we ever doubt that? So if, you know, it's appointed a man wants to die and, and after that the judgment, we start questioning God because one of our loved ones is one that he allowed to die. He allowed his own son to die. He sent him to die because of how we would be blessed by that sacrifice. And there are lessons to be learned by suffering. And God has wisdom way beyond what we have. And so we should never question uh, whether or not God loves us when it comes to bad things happening in our lives or bad things happening in the lives of those that we love. Like Paul told Timothy, we can renew the mind by study. Uh, King James says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Uh, New King James says, give diligence, and that is the word. It's more generic. It's, we're, we're to give effort in everything that we do. But uh, in the context, uh, certainly with Timothy being an evangelist and doing, being told to do the work of an evangelist just two chapters later, studying to show himself approved unto God is, is certainly not a mistranslation. But uh, not only was he told to um, give diligence concerning the handling the word of truth correctly, uh, we also are to meditate on Scripture. And that we can renew the mind by meditation. That's more than just reading it, more than just studying it. First Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> you have um, Paul telling Timothy this as well concerning the work of an evangelist. Let no one despise your youth. But being an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So if we love God, we're going to love His Word. We're going to want to put it in our heart. We want to think about it. We love thinking about what God has said and what God wants us to do. We are interested in knowing that. So we spend our time renewing the mind. and We should do that every day. And like we read in verse 12, be an example. And he said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. He's to make personal application of it so that he can save himself and those that hear him. One of my favorite statements by Jesus <clears throat> was right before he was going to be arrested. Uh, John chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet. He says, I, I've set an example for you. If I, as your master, have washed your feet, you ought to be washing each other's feet. They were arguing over who would be grace in the kingdom, according to Luke 22, that night. And that was provoked by him saying, one of you will betray me, and it's like... Oh, is it me or is it? I wonder who it is. And who's the greatest in the kingdom? It seemed like that was their favorite subject whenever they were talking. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And uh, even the night before he was going to be arrested, they were arguing over that. So he washes their feet and says, you need to do for each other what I have done for you. I mean, Peter, he saw the implication of it. It's like he, was, he felt chagrin as Jesus was coming closer to him and like it was his turn to get his feet washed. He's like, you're not going to wash my feet. Said, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Well, then wash not only my feet, but my whole body. He's like, you just don't get it, Peter. Um, 
But he, he, he points out afterwards the lesson. You, you do, you know, you do for others uh, what I have done for you. And that becomes a theme of their discipleship and should be ours as well. We do for others what Jesus has done for us. <clears throat> and in verse 17, he said, Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, most of the, what I'm reading is from the New King James. I don't know what translations you may use, but, but I really like the way it's worded here. It helps you understand that the blessing is not in the knowing, which for me, when I was younger, that's where it was. Oh, yeah, I got so excited when I learned something new in the Scripture. Still do. But the blessing's in the doing, not in the knowing. And so it's important to apply what we read. And he also said in, in John 8, 31, If you remain in my word, then you really are my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth will make you free once you are putting it into practice. You must be abiding in his word. You can claim to be a disciple, and if you're not keeping his word, you're not a disciple, regardless of what you feel or think. And... We're told in Second Peter to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's not just growing in Bible knowledge, but rather growing in the knowledge of Jesus Himself. But we are told to desire the pure milk of the Word that we might grow in First Peter chapter two, verse two. There's a great prayer I like in um, Colossians chapter one, and it shows a process. And we might touch on this in a little more detail. So I'm tempted to. Not talk about it as much right now. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, where Paul prays, I do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. It begins with the knowledge of His will. And it's not to be confused with the knowledge of God Himself, which is only after you've gone through this process of having a knowledge of His will applied with wisdom and spiritual understanding, which is a desire to do His will, which leads us to be uh, walking that walk that's fully pleasing in the Lord. And as a result of that application of the Word, then we grow in our knowledge of God Himself. We're not to confuse Bible knowledge with the knowledge of God Himself. And then when we have that going on, then we are strengthened spiritually so that we can even endure persecution, suffering with patience and joy. We also need to renew the heart because we are to love the Lord with all of it. The heart is really where our values and priorities are. That's basically what Jesus said, where your, where your, where your treasure is, that is where your heart be also. And what do you like to talk about? What do you like to think about? You, you show your heart by how you act toward other people. And what would they define you as being and standing for if they were to just have a brief paragraph to describe your life and, and, and who you are? What would they say? Oh, he's a great worker. Or he's a wonderful citizen, very 
involved in politics, or, uh, boy, he's got the nicest house on the block. Um, he's a great Christian. You know, what is it they would, they would say? What would be, we be most known for? People hear what we talk about. Oh, he's a real Razorback fan, maybe. Uh, whatever. Um, it should be that we are children of God. And um, we also need to renew the heart with prayer, to pray, to commune with God. It means to listen to God in His Word, to pray and talk to Him and open our heart to Him. As, as I was saying, my heart's desire in prayer to Israel, as Paul said. That's what our prayer is to be. We also need to avoid sin. That's another way of renewing the heart because... As um, Jesus pointed out in Matthew 24, when iniquity abounds, the love of many would grow cold. He's talking about those who would be Christians, who were disciples, who began that walk and then fall away. So we must avoid sin. That's a great way of renewing the heart and not fall in love with the world. We need to open up our heart to God's Word in order for Him to be um, in a position to perform open-heart surgery. Um, the Word of God actually is to work that way and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, Hebrews 4.12 tells us it's living, it's powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And we must, we must allow God to perform this open-heart surgery. We have to have our hearts open for that to happen. And we need to renew our hearts by keeping them open. And I want to say this also. We are to keep our heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23. Uh, a couple other places Proverbs says, apply your heart to wisdom. We are to guide our heart, not follow our heart. I'll tell you, pop culture and even the, the innocent things like uh, Disney movies and Hallmark movies, it is so common to hear, follow your heart. Well, there's a lot of danger in that. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful and, and, and wicked above all things, and who, who can know it? It was certainly true in his day, and it's true even today. If we are wise in our own eyes, we're going to fall in destruction. But we are told to guide our heart. We are to keep our heart. And the way to do that is with the mind, the Word of God, and then furnish the heart with that information and have the strength to stick with it. And we should receive encouragement for others. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 talk about how we are to consider one another to provoke or stir up love and good works. To stir up love. That's renewing the heart right there. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So one reason we're here is to encourage each other. It renews the heart. When we sing together, it renews the heart. When we pray together, it should renew the heart as well. Even us studying, it should renew the heart. And now we need to also renew the will. This has to do with our motivation. The key to motivation is motive. Um, if you have a good enough reason to do something, you'll do it. 
It's just that simple. And it, like I said earlier, it's a combination of the mind and the heart. That's why Paul reasoned and persuaded the Thessalonians and a great many Greeks obeyed the gospel. Paul talked about the zeal of the Corinthians stirred up the Macedonians. And so, once again, by the fellowship we have with each other, setting an example for each other, being involved with each other, makes it even more effective for us to stir each other up with zeal. There's nothing greater than working together to bring people closer together or to go through a difficulty together to bring people closer together. And that's why God designed for the church to be the close-knit body it is supposed to be. Not just members of a social club, but members of a body when we look at Scripture. One of the best examples of the will is Daniel, who made up his mind he was not going to do something. He was not going to defile himself with the food of the king in Babylon and the wine that would be served. So he ate only vegetables and uh, drank water. And he insisted on that. And the guy in charge says, oh, you can put me in danger of the king if that happens. And he made up his mind not to. You know, a lot of people getting caught up in something and, and, and they get put in jail. It's like, I didn't mean to. Well, the problem is they didn't mean not to. That's where the will comes in. You need to make up your mind before you get into a situation. Whatever happens, I'm not going to do this. And, and that, that prevents fornication from ever getting started. If we uh, make up our mind ahead of time not to get uh, caught up in it. And, of course, Daniel succeeded with the help of his friends who also refused to do that. So the four of them did that in Daniel chapter 1. And we should encourage each other every day. As Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, and of course we are to gather together and not forsake assembling together for the same reason, to encourage each other. Just seeing everybody here encourages me. People I hadn't had a chance to see in quite a while. It encourages me. And it, it always means that wherever I go, in, in every time at Highway 5, when everybody is there who's there. And I get concerned when there's somebody who's not there because they're not there. And it may be because they're sick. That's a reason to be concerned. Or it may be because they're discouraged. Uh, I'm concerned. And so in the case of some, it might be to renew the will. We need to be there to renew the will if they're not here to, to renew the will themselves. And then to renew the conscience. Well, renewing the conscience, this is an interesting way of, of looking at it. The conscience itself is not a perfect guide. There are those, Jesus talked about in John 16, uh, who would think they're pleasing God by killing Christians. And Paul himself was an example of that. And he said, I lived in all good conscience before God, even into this very day. That was true before he became Christian, but he radically changed once he had the right information. And so he stopped killing Christians. He started preaching the gospel. But it's also possible to think something is wrong when it is not. And we have that example in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So the conscience is not a perfect guide. So the key is to educate your conscience. Just like Paul told the Philippians, he prayed that their love would abound more and more into all, uh, in all wisdom and discernment, that they might approve the things that are excellent. See, you educate your conscience with the knowledge of God's Word that would lead to you approving the things that are excellent so that you do those things that, that are right. And then it's important to act on your conscience. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. James chapter 4, verse 17 tells us. In the context there, basically, I think, is telling us, no, don't procrastinate. We're not entitled to tomorrow. So don't have the attitude that, well, I'm going to do this tomorrow because I'm entitled to it. 
uh, we need to, to depend on the Lord and recognize that we depend on the Lord for every second that we breathe. Um, and if we don't listen to our conscience, if we keep violating it, then our conscience becomes seared and past feeling like Titus 1.15 talks about. So we need to stay aware of God's knowledge that everything we do is in the presence of God, but also that other people are watching. And we need to be aware of their consciences as well, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4. And we're told to not violate the conscience of others, whether they be Jew or Gentile or the church of God, which means we need to be concerned not only with a brother's conscience, we need to be concerned with the consciences of outsiders, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. So... Appreciate your patience, and, and we're going to look and focus more on some very practical applications of how to renew the mind, the heart, the conscience, and the will every day in, 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 in the next lesson, Lord willing, in a little over 45 minutes or so. <clears throat>